journey through the Upper Room Discourse, and we're in John chapter 15, verses 18 through to chapter 16, verse 4. And I've called it the love-hate relationship. And according to Open Doors, the Christian ministry, we estimate that in the top 50 countries alone, 245 million Christians face intimidation, prison, or even death for their faith in Jesus Christ. One in nine Christians worldwide are persecuted for their faith. Now, the timing of this message was set at the beginning of the year, so don't think this message is a reaction to Friday's events in Australian rugby. But the sacking of Israel for Lao is a textbook example of the world persecuting a follower of Christ. And I wonder what is your reaction? Should you walk away from Christ at this point to avoid similar persecution? I mean, if the chances are one in nine of persecution, it's not looking very good. Uh, the, uh, if the chances of catching some deadly disease were one in nine, I think we'd take some drastic action. So should we continue to witness openly this week? Why does the world... hate, persecute, and excommunicate disciples of Jesus Christ. This morning we'll examine seven reasons given in John chapter 15 through to 16.4, and then what a disciple's response to the world's hatred and persecution will be. So the main idea is that disciples of Jesus Christ can expect persecution and yet continue to be a witness. So before we go too much further, let's just look at Christ's purpose for telling his disciples these things and God's reason for including them in Scripture for us. So again, the context is the upper room discourse. Jesus is coming to the end of his three-and-a-half-year training program for his disciples who are going to begin the church and take the good news of the gospel throughout the world eventually. According to Acts 17, they're going to turn the world upside down. And it's now within hours of Christ's arrest. And we know the rest is crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection. So earlier in John 15, Christ taught the disciples how to relate to him. Uh, remember last week, John 15, 1 to 11, he's saying, look, abide in me. And then... He taught them how to relate to one another, John 15, 12 to 17. Love one another. And now he's giving a bit of training on how to relate to the world. And if we look at Christ's purpose, in John 16, verse 1, he says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. And some versions we had this morning said, keep you from stumbling. When we stumble, or st stumble is probably a good picture, we, we stumble when we can't see something. Uh, I might st stumble over a cable there. But if you tell me, look, there's a cable there, then I can step over it and avoid stumbling. Well, Jesus Christ is really saying, look, there's a cable. There's something to stumble on if you're not aware of it. But it's coming, so just keep your eye out for these things that could cause you to trip. And don't be surprised. If you see persecution, and for us, don't be surprised if there's a cable across the floor. 
In verse 4 he says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And these apostles would, uh, would suffer that persecution, but it would be great encouragement to them, uh, say when they are sitting in a dungeon somewhere or in chains, that they remember, ah, Christ did actually tell us this was going to happen. It's not that I've messed up in my Christian walk. Uh, it's not that I've been unfaithful. This is just the way it is, and I could expect it. <clears throat> and that uh, term, falling away, means to cause someone to experience anger and or shock because of what has been said or done, uh, to cause one to be offended or to offend. And... My own testimony is that when I was a fairly new Christian, I uh, became a Christian at 19, and uh, was in, uh, out the back of Dubbo in central New South Wales when I became a Christian, but I came back to New Zealand two weeks later and fitted back into our small rural farming community. But God had changed me from the inside out. Uh, I was no longer the same person. And one of the first things God began to teach me was seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. So I began to make changes in my life and there was less emphasis on building my empire and uh, living for, for farming and my rural community did not appreciate that. In fact, the worst people or the ones that gave me the hardest time were the so-called Christians uh, who said I was being a bad steward and a bad testimony. I mean, I should have been putting the priority of my family's land and their cows first, but I was putting other things first and they really didn't like that. And so I was rejected by that community to some extent, uh, rejected by uh, particularly my father to some extent too for that change in priority. And when we're in the islands, I have, often have to uh, explain to people that it's not just other cultures that have to turn their back on their culture, whereas, uh, if you like, uh, European New Zealanders also have things in our culture that we need to turn our back on. And when we do, even as a young Christian, uh, even when we're, we're not saying too much, we find that we come under this persecution. Uh, light compared to some, yes, but yes, we feel the the uh, resistance from those that are looking for a, a comfortable life in other ways. <clears throat> 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And so... Yeah, as a new Christian, I don't think I'd got to 1 Peter 4 just yet. I don't think I'd read that. I was reading through my Bible every day. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to me that these upstanding Christian people in my rural community were now turning on me. Uh, so he's saying, don't be surprised. And there's an application for disciple makers and parents here to warn and prepare others. We need to be aware that uh, it is likely to come. And I think there's also possibly an attitude to correct, I know there is in me, that living the Christian life on earth will bring only blessing and maybe society will respect us for it. 
and but in many cases now society will not respect us for having Christian ethics and and a belief in Jesus Christ. There was a time in New Zealand where if you wanted to be a politician or a some sort of a leader, then it was nice to show up at church on Sunday. Not so these days. Uh, if you show up at church on Sunday or if you're linked to that, you're viewed with suspicion. Maybe you're some sort of a relig- religious fundamentalist radical. Maybe we are. So now... Let's look at seven reasons given in John 15, 18 to 16, verse 4. Why the world would hate and persecute the disciples. We have went through this in our Bible study, so I've got my notes all prepared. The world, world hated Jesus Christ first, John 15, verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. How could anyone hate Jesus Christ? It's, it's amazing to me. And sometimes I think, how could anyone hate peace-loving, gentle, loving Christians? Well, because they hated Jesus first. And he says, know that the world, if, if the world hates you, and the world in this context is the human system that opposes God's purpose. It's society apart from God and opposed to God. So don't be confused with the humanity of the world spoken of in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's all the people in the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son. So this is really talking about the human system. And he uses a word there, hate, if the world hates you. And that's a strong word now, and it's quite a common word in our uh, society at the moment. We hear about hate speech in the original word there is to, to talk about disliking strongly with the implication or aversion to hostility. And it's translated to hate or to detest. So why would the world hate Christ? I mean, it's easy for me to say, well, we see in John fifteen eighteen, the world hates us because it hated him. That begs the question, well, why did they hate him? And I've got three reasons on that one. One, because he exposes their sin so that they are without excuse. Verses 22 to 24. Verse 22, he said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, he was kind of saying they would have preferred to remain ignorant. They would have preferred, uh, people would have preferred if Israel had not quoted scripture and said exactly what it says about drunks and uh, uh, adulterers and all sorts of people in there because yeah we don't uh, we'd rather not be told about that sort of thing it interferes with our life and where it says there they would not have been guilty of sin it does not refer to all sin uh, Romans 3.23 says for all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And John 16.9 yeah, also talked about, we've already looked at that one, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And then John 3.16-21 talking about the, the condemnation is not so much because of the things that we've done wrong but because people have not believed in Christ. Everything else is forgivable if we forgive, believe in Christ, but really the unforgivable sin is, is not believing, not trusting in Christ. 
So the specific sin of rejecting the supreme revelation of God that came in Christ himself is the, is the sin that he's talking about here. And again in our Bible study we talked about the fact that these people, they saw Jesus Christ in front of them, they saw his miracles, they saw his works done, and yet they still hardened their hearts despite all of that testimony and rejected him. Verse 23. <clears throat> Whoever hates me hates my father also. So people hate Jesus because they hate the father. And there's a contrast here with John 13, 20. So yes, there's some that hate Jesus and the father, but there's others. John 13, 20, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And that certainly, Rosemary and I's testimony as we've moved around a lot of church, different churches and met a lot of different Christians from different Christian traditions and backgrounds too, that when we find others that have received Christ, they are very quick to receive us as well. So yes, there's hatred and persecution, but there's also this almost mysterious bond that we have with others that have received Christ. So as soon as we start talking to them, we know, ah, oh, this is a brother. And yeah, instantly there's a bond there. Verse 24, <clears throat> If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So, Really, Christ is saying it's works done combined with spoken words really puts these people in a, in a very difficult position. They've got no excuse when he did things like feeding the 5,000 and people saw all that and then he said, I am the bread of life. Things like uh, from John 11 saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead four days later. Very hard to uh, avoid his words when he backs up his words with things like that, saying, telling a paralytic, your fins, uh, sins are forgiven. And then saying, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, so that you know I'm the son of God, rise up and walk. And so, and, and the paralytic did. So those sort of works combined with words are a terribly powerful testimony that can convict the world and actually stir up that hatred. It's, uh, it's much easier to say, oh, Christians are all hypocrites, and yeah, what sort of a witness are they? Uh, it's another thing when they're a strong witness and they're living relatively righteous lives to then say, to, to then dismiss them. So Jesus was hated because he exposed their sins so that they were without excuse. Jesus was also hated in the fulfillment of the word. And he quotes down in verse 25 there in John 15, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. So again, Jesus is saying, Hey, I am the fulfillment of what King David was talking about here. But he's also tying it in identifying with David because at that time David the psalmist 
was saying, look, I've done nothing to deserve this. So if we just quickly look at Psalm 35, it's an appeal to the Lord to fight against those who have sought the psalmist's harm without cause. And the psalmist is in some sort of distress which his enemies use as an accusation to accuse, to slander and to maliciously mock. The psalmist seeks the Lord to rise to his defence and to vindicate him. And that's the, the right response. And then the psalmist finishes by praising God. Again, in Psalm 69, we see a similar pattern. It's a psalm of a godly king who seems to have done some wrong. And this doesn't fit perfectly with Christ because he had done no wrong. No one could find anything except the fact that he had said he was the son of God. But in this psalm, there's some wrong there. He's been wounded and been disciplined by God. We've talked about that too, about how God sometimes prunes us and disciplines us because he loves us. And as a result of that discipline, he has repented and humbled himself. And he prays that God will vindicate his trust in God and not bring shame on others who hope in God. In his humility, many attack, insult, scorn, and make sport of and mock him. The psalmist turns to God for salvation, rescue, deliverance, mercy, and redemption. He leaves justice for his enemies with God, and despite his pain and distress, he chooses to praise and glorify God with thanksgiving. So again, two very good patterns there for, yes, Christ who fulfilled it, uh, being hated without cause, he'd done no wrong, he'd done nothing to harm these people, and yet he was attacked. And it's a very good, very good couple of psalms for us to remember or to read again when we are being hated without cause or going through those difficult times. So Jesus was hated because he exposes sin, hated because he fulfilled the word, in particular he was hated without cause. And part of that cause is realising that hatred is illogical. So why was Jesus hated? Well, really, in some ways, you'd say, well, it's totally illogical. It doesn't make sense. If he's going around healing people and feeding people and setting captives free, why would you hate him? So, yeah, hatred itself is illogical. And you know, I point to recent events, and I don't know if you recognize the, the slide there. And uh, I'm not into building statues of Jesus Christ, but it's kind of a picture, a, a thousand words in a picture there a statue of Jesus Christ splattered with blood and debris and things. Uh, you know, some of those would be our Christian brothers and sisters who have been uh, blown up and splattered all over this, this icon of Jesus. So where's the logic in that? What are those terrorists trying to achieve? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I can't explain. <laughs> it's It's a hatred much stronger than the the very few, that Christian minority, just a few percent living in that society, uh, you know, what are they doing to cause that amount of hatred? There's no, there's no natural explanation. Maybe there is an explanation, and we'll come to that later. So we're still in our first point. The world hated Jesus Christ first. That's why we are hated, 
and I've just had a look a bit about, well, if they hated Jesus, why did they hate him? Second thing, second reason why disciples might be hated is because disciples are not of the world. 15 verse 19. <clears throat> if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So, by being not of the world, really we have a different purpose. We have a different love, or love for different things. We have a different hope, and we have a different joy. And we are to be separate, we are to be different from the world. If we're not, if our, if our motivations, our purposes are still the same, uh, then yeah, we've got to really ask questions. Are we growing in our Christian walk? Are we growing in our relationship with the Lord? And there's a number of uh, encouragements or exhortations for us not to be like the world, not to have the same motivations and, and purposes. James 4.4 4, uh, really socks it to them, says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And again, we, we need to realise what he's talking about, the world there. That's kind of the world system. It's not saying don't be a friend of people. It's being saying don't be a friend of this world system that is opposed to God. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and renewed Sorry, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we've got this contrast here between kind of being in the world system and having those same values and then being transformed and having different values. doesn't mean to say that uh, all of the values in the world are necessarily bad, but it's often an, order, a, a, uh, an issue of priorities. So, for example, there's, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. Uh, we are children of Abraham. He was uh, one of the wealthiest people around then. There's nothing wrong with being uh, in a position, like I understand the Australian Prime Minister now uh, seems to be a born-again Christian. Uh, there's nothing wrong with him being a Christian but and being a politician. We pray that he he's consistent in his walk. So, But it's having that different mindset, being in the world but not being of it, and we'll touch on that a little bit more next Sunday. <clears throat> so, disciples of Jesus are hated because Jesus was hated first, because disciples are not of this world. We're quite different. We're a peculiar people. And third, because servants will be treated like their master. Remember John thirteen sixteen. Sorry, I should just read 
John 15, 21st. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. <clears throat> so Jesus is referring back to John thirteen sixteen, just on the same night, it's probably only 20 minutes before he was telling them, Truly, truly, I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So, yes, our master didn't escape persecution. Neither will we if we follow in his footsteps, if we live our lives in accordance with the way he lived his. Praise the Lord, we will never suffer to the degree that he did, though. And when we do, we have the Holy Spirit to help us through that. And again, that word persecuted, they will also persecute you. That's uh, not so much what I experienced, just with some comments from people and so on. But this persecution is really used in a way that says to systematically organise a program to oppress and harass people. So there's various parts of the world where there's programs there to oppress and harass people. Uh, some of our co-workers in Crossing Cultures International are in places like India and Burma, uh, Indonesia, and they would talk about this program to oppress and harass people. And so we would hear it firsthand by sitting in the same conference with them, where back in New Zealand we're sort of dependent on somehow media or social media getting through to us and telling us what's really happening on the ground. Um, but these people were saying, this is what's really happening. When someone attacks a church, strangely enough, the police just don't happen to be there. They're on the other side of town, having dinner somewhere. Uh, even though, in the case of Sri Lanka, the officials knew India told them exactly what was going to happen. They told them the time, the place, and the people. We were the police. They were busy elsewhere that day. So that's the systematic type persecution that it's talking about here. Not, not so much the snide remark that we might get at work. <clears throat> the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul certainly could speak from experience. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And uh, that's not saying necessarily that all who are living a godly life, because uh, I would have to say I'd fall short in that degree. But at times I desire to live a godly life, and even just that desire to live a godly life is enough to get persecuted. Even though we're not squeaky clean, righteous, shining examples of Christians, just the fact that we, we, we uh, desire to be like that is enough to suffer the wrath of the world. So servants will be treated like their master. The fourth reason, disciples will be hated and harassed and persecuted is that the world has rejected his word. Again, the second part of 
15 verse 20 there, If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In other words, they haven't kept his word and they haven't therefore kept our word or what we proclaim. In fact, it irritates them or makes them angry or as we read with Stephen being stoned, um, they started gnashing their teeth. There's this unexplained rage that it stirs up uh, when he talked about the prophets being killed and, and other righteous people and then saying, well, and you yourselves crucified the Christ as well. So, yes, the world has not kept Christ's words but rejected them when we post even a, um, a scripture on social media. Yeah, that can stir up that, uh, that gnashing of teeth and that hatred. Fifth reason disciples would be persecuted is on account of Jesus Christ's revealed character. <coughs> John fifteen twenty one, And uh, where we read name, by that I mean his revealed character. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And in those times, your name meant your character. And even today we say, oh, we want to have a good name. Uh, it's not a, a name like John. It's having a good name is that, okay, that's a person who's trustworthy and, uh, and kind and loving and so on. So a name is tied with character, um, less so in our society, but much more in a Hebrew or in their times. So in this case, it's saying they've rejected the manifestation of God's character. So therefore, we must be revealing God's character to them uh, by being salt and light or being different before we get persecution. For example, if we're humble instead of proud, then we might suffer persecution. Why does the world hate the Jews? Well, because God has manifested his character through them as a people. Not perfectly, and uh, at the moment they're a long way from him, but he has chosen them as a nation to manifest his character through. And even while they're not walking with the Lord, the world hates them and wants to wipe them off the face of the, off the map. Another example of being different would be blessing those who curse and remaining lovingly under attack. Sorry, remaining loving under attack. And when we do that, it manifests God's character. And again, it heaps coals on the heads and it makes them even angrier because it's much easier to deal with a Christian when, when we respond in like kind. Uh, when we come back wanting revenge and just wanting to attack those that have attacked us. When we forgive, uh, that only makes matters worse for them. And it's inevitable, <coughs> this, this reaction to manifesting God's character. Second Corinthians 2.14-16 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death. 
to the other a fragrance from life to life. So what he's saying is, as we go around giving this fragrance of Christ to the righteous, they say, oh, what a, what a sweet smell, that's good. But to the, to the unrighteous or those who are spiritually dead, it's, uh, it, it uh, brings more death to them. There's more condemnation as they see it. And they get buried under that righteousness because there's a contrast. So yes, if we're a, a fragrance of God, if we're living the Christian life, both individually and corporately, then yes, uh, true Christians will find that pleasing, but the world will find it yeah, most irritating. Sixth reason why disciples of Jesus Christ will be hated and persecuted is because the persecutors do not know the Father. Verse 21, But all these things they will do to you on, my, on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And 16 verse 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So again we have this this personal relationship, this knowing the Father and the the Jews, the religious people of the time, they had the scriptures, they'd memorized large portions of them, and yet they did not know the God of the scriptures. They knew the scriptures but didn't have a personal relationship with the God of the scriptures. And so not knowing or not knowing his character, then they uh, react against people who reflect that same character. And the seventh reason why Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, might be hated and persecuted is because people think they are offering service to God. <clears throat> In 16 verse 2, it says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And in those days, the synagogue was the center of Jewish society. Uh, so it's a bit different to today. Uh, our, the Christian church is not the center of society. It's been marginalized. But back then, if you were a Jew, you would faithfully go to the synagogue and you'd go to feasts and so on. So for them, at that time, excommunication was a very serious matter. It affected them not only religiously but also socially and economically because the social life revolved around the synagogue and also the economic world uh, revolved around the synagogue, which is probably partly why the Jews are so rich today. They know how to stick together. They know how to work together as families and how to work together as a people group economically. So for someone to be rejected from the synagogue was really yeah, being rejected from their whole, their whole world. And there's examples in John 9.22 and John 12.42 where common people like the, um, the parents of the man that was healed of blindness and the Pharisees are like they put uh, huge importance on access to the synagogue. So they were very careful about what they said so as not to get uh, pushed out of the synagogue. 
and this case of people thinking they're offering service to God, well, that was fulfilled in the passage that we read for our reading in Acts 7, 54 to 60. So it wasn't too long before the first Christian martyr, being Stephen, was then stoned for, and the people that stoned him thought that they were doing God a service. Uh, they thought they were doing the right thing, and Paul, or sorry, Saul, it says, was standing there watching. Saul went on for a few years after that, thinking he was doing the right thing by killing and persecuting Christians. In fact, the day he became follower of Jesus Christ, he was actually on his way to kill Christians. So keep that in mind too, that uh, someone might be on their way to kill us one day. Uh, even then, God can turn them around. Uh, he's still a miracle-working God. Where it says, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, according to the ESV study Bible, said it, is, it implies a deep deception, ultimately inspired by Satan, who is a murderer and father of lies. The Apostle Paul, prior to his conversion, thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. So yes, realize it's, again, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces or this deep deception. So again, we can't hate our persecutors. Uh, even as Stephen said there in following the words of Christ, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they're doing. They're just being controlled by a force outside of themselves and, yeah, doing these things because, yeah, behind it is a spiritual force that hates Jesus Christ and hates his followers. <coughs> And note the progression here that we've seen in John 15, 3 to 16. There's a progression from hate, uh, from them being hated. Jesus starts by saying they'll hate, hate you in verse 18. Then it gets a little bit worse, or quite a lot worse really, to persecution, 15, 20. They'll persecute you. And then it gets worse still, excommunication, 16, 2. And then even to death, also in 16, verse 2. And we've really got a textbook case of this with Israel Folau, of just how this works. He puts a post up there. The initial reaction is just this absolute hate coming back on his Instagram posts uh, and slander and, you know, just that real gnashing of teeth against him posting and quoting scripture. And then it comes to the persecution where... Then the authorities say, no, we're going to uh, persecute him for this. So they try him and decide, yes, he's guilty of uh, inciting hatred or inciting uh, non-inclusiveness. And then they go on to excommunicate him, which uh, is where he sits today. He's excommunicated, uh, I hope doesn't come to death, it's unlikely in our society we would say for now but yeah, it's followed, it's a textbook case from going from hatred to persecution to excommunication so yes Christ was uh, <coughs> um, certainly revealing some understanding about how this whole concept works so we've looked at seven reasons why the world hates disciples of Jesus Christ and note that none of these re reasons say that the disciples have done something wrong. 
Now, all of us here, I expect, we know we're not perfect, and sometimes we do bring things on ourselves. Uh, sometimes we might not say things in the most graceful or the, the most wise way, but that is actually not the cause. Now, that might be a, an excuse for people to hate, but it's not the cause. Um, it's those other seven reasons, and maybe there's more elsewhere in Scripture, but we're trying to stay in the text today. So we've dealt with the negative. Uh, what about the positive? Let's, uh, let's finish with a bit of hope and on a bright side. How the disciples will respond to the world's hatred and persecution. And again, this is another one of those messages where I can't find an implicit or an explicit command. But the good thing here is that if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we will be a witness to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. John fifteen twenty six to 27 But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27 And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, he's speaking specifically to the eleven here. They did bear witness, and the Holy Spirit did work in them in a mighty way. And I like uh, verse 26 starts with the word but. You know, and I've talked about all that negativity, all the reasons for the hatred, and then he says but. And that hatred, that rejection in the world is contrasted with the work of the Holy Spirit who will continue to be a witness about Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit filled the disciples uh, and he gave them power to do likewise. And that's a supernatural response. In the natural, what do we want to do? Our normal reaction is to escape the world, to retreat, just to be silent, tone it down. Again, Israel was told, look, just be silent. If you'll just remove that post off the internet, all will be forgiven. We'll move on. Uh, we want to adopt a fortress mentality often, close ranks, and cut ourselves off. That would be a normal response of a people under, under persecution. And there's numerous expressions of this in the church over history as well. Monasticism was one of those times where people withdrew and pulled out of the world uh, and sort of used contemplation and, um, and personal piety as a justification for that. And again, those things are good. But they probably went too far. Uh, and there's also closed Christian communities, even these days, who have done the same thing, who have, who have pulled back and uh, I've been on to one of those closed Christian communities down on the South Island. Um, they're also very successful uh, dairy cattle breeders, um, but they have shut themselves off from the world. So there's a but there, but, but no. Holy Spirit-filled disciples will uncompromisingly engage the world with the gospel, knowing that like their master, they will be hated, and persecuted at times. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love for a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ or the Father. And 
love casts out all fear and it infuses courage. So I hope no one here has got scared by what we've read in Scripture or even worse, got scared by what I have said. Um, let those words, Lord, um, melt away. Let you not remember them because it's not about putting fear into us. It's about putting courage into us. Uh, and there is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, I was just sharing with somebody this week about, um, I might have been with Greg and Marie, about one Christian martyr, and um, I should have left his name in here, I cut it out, but um, he, uh, this is around the time of the Reformation, and before he was going to be burned at the stake, other Christians said, well, how do we know what it's like at that very last moment that the, at the most pain? Will God give us the grace to get through that? And so his other mates said, look, when you're burnt at the stake, can you just give us a signal somehow to say that you're still, you're still abiding in Christ, you're still strong, you're still there, you're not just completely overcome with the pain and persecution. So he agreed to that, <clears throat> and as he was burning at the stake, he preached first and so on and happily went there and had a large chain put around his chest and they, they lit the faggots and he, uh, his whole body was alight, his hands were alight, there was, you know, even the flesh was coming off his hands and his arms and they actually thought he was dead and then right at the end he lifted up his hands and clapped them together which was the agreed sign that no, he was still walking victoriously through that clapped his hands and then gave up the ghost. So, and I'm encouraged, nothing I have read from persecuted Christians ever says, please just get us out of here. And often that's our reaction, we'll write to the politicians and try and get them out of jail or what. I've never seen someone say that. All I've, all I've heard them say is, pray for our strength to walk through this and to be a good witness. So the testimony of those that actually go through this is that there is nothing to fear, uh, that we can have courage in it. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll just find my place again. So love casts out fear and infuses courage. And Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses... Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And yes, we don't have that power, but we receive power from the Holy Spirit. And how does that look? It means that we'll all witness during those times. And again, verse 26 promises that helper, and this has been in another message. Sorry, I've used the scripture twice now. But yes, he's the helper, the counsellor the encourager, the mediator. And that, uh, that legal term meaning broader than a counsel for defence, but anyone who helps someone in times of trouble with the law. Someone who provides guidance, consolation, strength and support to people. And he's called alongside to assist. Should all be revision for us. So the Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. So yes, he's He's our hope should we go through that time. And Jesus says, if the world hates you, 
So yes, there are some that escape it. But if the world does hate us, then we have the Holy Spirit to strengthen us through that. So there's a really good parallel passage that I'd like to finish off with in John 15, a parallel passage to our passage this morning, and that's in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. And it tells us how to respond when we are persecuted. It says, so 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, Beloved, do not be surprised. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So yes, we've looked at uh, why the world will hate us, we've looked at why uh, the disciples' response to the world of hatred and persecution, it's to, to be a witness, to continue to be a witness. Business as usual, in other words. <coughs> so if we are Holy Spirit-filled disciples, we'll suffer hatred, persecution, excommunication, and possibly death from the world. But far from falling away, Far from stumbling, God will give us the strength, the power of his Holy Spirit to continue to be a witness to Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll just finish with a prayer. And again, it's based on that same passage from Peter. So uh, yes, if, he, if it sounds uh, a little bit like I've borrowed some words, that's why. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to be surprised the fiery trial if and when it comes upon us to test us as though something strange were happening but help us rejoice insofar as we share in Christ's sufferings that we also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if we are insulted for the name of Christ remind us we are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us if any of us suffers as a Christian let us not be ashamed, but let us glorify God by bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Let any who suffer according to God's will entrust our souls to our faithful creator while doing good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat>